Hi, Jennifer Wolford. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, David. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so happy to have you because uh, uh, I think ever since we met, um, must have been a couple of years ago, mm. I've always been fascinated by your story, how you came from uh, a very successful, very, very broad regional marketing role in Europe and coming to Hong Kong with your family uh, and having to, in a sense, uh, start a new career here. So I've always been very curious about your, your personal story. So thanks for agreeing to be here and sharing that with us today. Not at all. So, so tell me, why don't we, we start off by, tell, tell us how you came to be in Hong Kong. What was the thought process behind leaving your your job um, in the UK and coming here? Mm. So I uh, used to work for Mars Confectionery and I worked for them uh, for a number of years, having joined as a graduate trainee um, back in 2002. Mm. And um, in 2016, when we came to Hong Kong, I think I'd reached a real crossroads whereby uh, having joined as a graduate trainee, you, you become very focused on sort of progression through the business um, I had amazing development opportunities in terms of accelerated leadership paths, um, and and I, I progressed quite rapidly throughout the organisation, and became very focused um, during that time on on the types of roles that I thought that I wanted to be doing, uh, both from a business perspective, but I think also as a as a female um, progressing through leadership, you also kind of start to feel this sense of you know you want to be one of those ones that's really you know breaking through and and, and rising through to the top of organizations. Um, and I think building up to 2016, I was starting to really question um, whether the roles I thought were the things that I always wanted wanted to do were really what I did want to do. Mm. Um, and combined with that, I had uh, two small children and I felt I wasn't um, getting the right balance between the time that I wanted to be spending with them and what I needed to commit to my role and my team to feel like I was being really successful. So I guess I had two mm. kind of two parts of my life I wanted to feel very, very successful in. And, and your role in Mars at that time, you were you had a regional role across Europe, yeah? Uh, no, at that time I had previously done regional roles. Um, mm. At that time I was doing a marketing director role for the UK. Um, and I also had global brand responsibility as well. Mm. Um, and then when the opportunity came up for us to make a family move to Hong Kong with my um, with my husband's role leading that, mm. um, it, it for us was a real interesting moment because we'd always previously, whenever either of us had looked at taking roles abroad, we were always very clear it had to work for both both people's um, uh, careers and when we were both in corporate jobs that was sometimes quite challenging when one had an opportunity to find a really strong opportunity for the other one as well um, and then when this came up for Stuart my choice was actually I think I don't want a big corporate job at this point in my life anymore I think I want to work in a different way and therefore coming to Hong Kong was a real opportunity for me to reset um, and think differently about how how I wanted to work so, so you didn't I, do that thing where, okay, you said, all right, Stuart, you have this job in Hong Kong. I'm going to f um, start looking for a job in Hong Kong and we'll both move together, but we'll both be employed. You didn't choose that. You you basically said, I'm just going to quit my job. We'll go to Hong Kong and I'll, I'll do something new. Exactly. And actually, even more than that, I, um, I 
I had a conversation with Mars whereby they said to me, do you want us to find you a role based out of Asia that you can do from Hong Kong? And I mm. said, no, because, mm. no, thank you. Because mm. my sense was if I didn't leave then, that I would never leave. You know, it's mm. a, Mars is an amazing company to work for. I, you know, was on a very good pension scheme. And, you know, when you wrap all of that up, that's a very difficult thing to step away from, particularly when there's amazing development and growth opportunities. Mm. Um, but I think there was something in me quite strongly that was saying to me, this isn't the only path for you. There's a different path. And so I thought, if I don't leave now, then, I, then I'm never going to go. So I, I bit the bullet um, and came to Hong Kong. Hmm. And, and with you and Stuart, is it a partnership where, you know, there are certain couples I know who are both professional working people, and they've made a choice where one of them will work for a period and then the other will not work and then they rotate. Do you have hmm. that sort of arrangement? I'm really glad to hear you say that, actually, because I remember very well early on in my career, um, somebody saying to me and and. Stuart and I both worked for Mars, so it was it, at that point in time. So it was also very uh, obvious that we were both progressing and building our careers. And somebody said to me, "You're going to have to pick who's the lead career." Mm. And it, it, even back then, I just fundamentally rejected that concept because mm. it's a very, I think, outdated, a very traditional view of you know somebody goes to work and and brings home the money, the breadwinner, and somebody else stay you know looks after the kids at home and I just don't think that's the world we're operating in anymore and you know we're all going to live and work for a much longer longer period of time than anybody uh, ever mm. has done generations have done before us and therefore I think there is this enormous opportunity for people to to have a more fluid relationship between when they're doing big roles uh, and when they're not and I think when you're in a dual career um, couple you absolutely have to make you either have to say that you're if you have a, a family that you want to um, have somebody else to come in and, and, and manage all of that for you. And mm. that's one choice you can make. Or if you say we want to be more hands on and present, but we both want to build and develop our careers, we've got to have some fluidity and flexibility between who takes the lead at, at what time. Mm -hmm. um, and so completely for us, that is, to answer your question, that is the vision that we will, you know, ebb and flow between the, the periods of time whereby one person is needs to be putting more hours into their role and the other person is able to have a more flexible approach around, um, around our family as well. Let, let's drill down into that a little bit more because um, here in Asia, obviously, we have, in Asian culture, we have a lot of very outdated notions of um, family and responsibility and so on. And a very common thing we hear is women are naturally just better at taking care of children. Do you, do you reject that? And, and are you of the mindset that men and women can both be very, equally very effective at bringing up children? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, once you get beyond the, you know, the, the basic human needs at the early, mm. at the early stage, I actually think children really benefit from having those different influences in their mm. lives as well. Mm. Um, and I see certainly my children when, you know, they've, they've, the relationship that they have with both of us because of the way that we manage our time and, and, and the time we're able to spend with them in different ways, mm. I think is hugely beneficial. 
to children and I, and I don't believe there has to be one primary caregiver or that one is better than the other um, mm. genders either. Mm-mm. And of course, here in Hong Kong, we have the added advantage. Um, you know, some people in the West might consider quite indulgent, um, but that people that haven't would say it's very necessary. But the indulgence is, of course, having domestic helpers. Mm-hmm. Was that a factor in, in in your decision to, okay, we're, we're going to Hong Kong, we're, we're going to have a bit more domestic help than we have been used to in the UK? Uh, no, actually, I didn't think about it at all because in the UK, we were in a place where we were both doing big jobs and therefore mm. we, we had to resource up at home um, in terms of, you know, childcare and household um, mm. care as well. So w- I guess we came from a place where we were doing that. But I think the big difference for me when we arrived here and I realised the enormous benefit of domestic help, and I have mm. no doubt what an indulgence and a luxury it is, um, is that it meant I could work with complete flexibility. So whereas in the UK, you're you're set around certain hours that you've contracted with somebody to work with you. And that mm. means, you know, you've, you've, you've got to be home by whatever time that is in the evening. Then suddenly coming here, I'm able to be very fluid as to the time I'm with the children and then the time that I'm, um, I'm not with the children because we have a, an amazing um, mm. uh, helper, Gigi, who lives with us and has a fantastic relationship with the children and is able to step in when I'm not there. So what that means is, you know, I might stop working between the hours of four and seven and I spend some time with the children and then I'm back doing client work again later in the evening. Mm. And I wouldn't have had that flexibility in the same way in the UK. So tell me about what you decided would be the next stage in your career after you arrived Hong Kong. What, What was the plan? Yeah, so I quite quickly decided that I wanted to um, to work independently and do cons- consultancy work initially to start with. Mm. And the reason behind that was I had worked, as I said, for, for one business, one industry for a very long period of time. And I wasn't really sure what it was that I wanted to do next. And I felt that if I walked um, straight into a, another role in Asia, one, I'd be kind of back where I started in terms of, you know, big, big corporate role, big, big team and um, mm. and financial re- d- delivery responsibility. And secondly, that where I would be able to find a home for myself here was in the consumer goods industry. And I felt that I wanted to really go through a period of exploration. So I decided to work independently and quite choicefully decided to work across different industries so it was very you know it's always very tempting to go back to where you've come from where people know you very well people Mm. respect and and trust in what you can do Uh, but I I very intentionally didn't do any work for Mars because I didn't want to sort of fall back into well I still really just work for Mars but I do it in a different way Mm. so I looked to really broaden my industry and and my experience and I did very, very different things. So I did some things that I look back now and I think, why on earth did I do that? But I, <laughs> I, I did it to learn at that period of time because I wanted to learn about what it was to work completely on your own, what it was to work through a, you know, a group, a consulting group of various people, what it was to like work for an agency. So I did lots of different things to help give me a perspective 
as to what it was that I then wanted to do to do next. Did, did it also help that uh, doing all these different things allowed you to learn more about the local operating environment here in Hong Kong and Asia, which is very different from the UK? Uh, yes, definitely. Definitely it did. Mm. Uh, I think the big thing I experienced coming here was really around the the, the difference in the the depth of relationships that you mm. go into with people, the importance of relationships, and the particularly in Hong Kong, the importance of your networks. Mm. And the the UK, and particularly when when you've worked for a long time within one business, you become quite internalised. I think you don't go out and network and build relationships in the same way as you do here in Asia. And it certainly gave me the time and the opportunity to be able to to do that, which has then been part of what's enabled me to go on with the business that I founded today because of, my one, my understanding of the importance of those relationships and, and two, the network that I was able to invest time in building. So in, in addition to the importance of networking and relationships, what were some of the other surprises that you found when you when you started working in Hong Kong? Good question. Were there any rude, <laughs> rude surprise, rude awakenings? <laughs> um, there's an interesting balance between the um, the the pace that mm-hmm. you want people want to work at um, in this market and the progressiveness in that respect, with also some quite sort of traditional and and old, uh, I say old fashioned. I think coming from from Europe things that seem quite um, outdated in a way and to some extent um, very sort of structured and rigid. Mm. So if I can give you an, you know, give you an mm. example, the lunch break, um, which is all part of what I talked about. The positive side of that is about the strength of relationships and the networks. Um, but, you know, I was fascinated to come and see that there's this very rigid, you know, two-hour lunch break, which people... <laughs> like to enjoy it um and as someone who you know always worked through lunch because I was rushing around and trying to get home in time to relieve the nanny was was really interesting to me but I think it all plays back into what I said which is around the um the importance of networks and relationships and the emphasis that people put on those here and what can feel like it's quite a slow contrast to the pace of which um the region's moving Actually, it's it's a real sort of grounding and fundamental of it as well. Yeah, yeah, I know that is that is something that's very interesting. Um, I used to work for an American firm, um, and I ran their their Asia business, and we found to our horror that um, people working in in our California offices would leave four thirty or five on the dot. And I can still remember my colleagues in in the Asia offices had this impression that oh the Americans are just lazy, mm. um, they just go home so so early, mm. not realizing that many of them actually don't have lunch hours. They just yeah. work through their lunch hours. Yeah, uh, and of course they don't have domestic help, so they have to actually rush home yes. and relieve the nanny. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But I think the the challenge on that is is, as I said, that you don't then necessarily give the time to how you sort of build yourself more externally within the marketplace. Um, And that was definitely something I think I experienced in the UK. It's also a benefit here that we're all, you know, we live in a a 
uh, in close proximity to each other and where we work and therefore it's much easier to to build those relationships and connect with people over lunch but there just wasn't the same kind of time and investment in doing that in the UK Um, and that didn't mean you didn't build relationships in other ways but I think there is such a a value placed on it here which in in many ways is very very valuable and certainly in the founding of Neon Leaders, I have found has been enormously valuable because I've had so many people who I can call upon who want to help and support me and help move that business forward because of the, the depth of the relationships I've been able to build with people. Although now nowadays, I do wonder um, what will replace, I, I guess I would call that water cooler time, right? It's really mm. informal networking time within the workplace. But of course, nowadays, everyone's working from home so much. What replaces that? Because obviously, you're not going to set up a Zoom call just to shoot the breeze. So I do wonder what the new format of that will be. I can completely agree. And I think it's a huge challenge. So, you know, it's interesting seeing the different views that, that people and businesses are coming out with around, you know, the future of working from home and the future of, of physical office spaces. And that in my mind, is undoubtedly the number one reason to go to the office, not every day, um, but to have, and whether it's an office or whether it's a frequent connection point. So, you know, my network within Neon Leaders and the talent who I work with, we don't have a physical office space we come together in, but we do meet every every week, once a week for Mm. lunch. And there's no huge agenda when we when we connect at that time. It is really an opportunity for people to talk and share about what they're doing. And, oh, yeah, I know someone I, who could help you with that. Oh, I've got some experience in that. Let me share that with you. Because otherwise, as you say, it just doesn't happen because Zoom meetings are always running to a, a tight agenda. And even if you allow time for a bit of, you know, chit-chat in the beginning and catch up, it, it doesn't replace that sort of time and space for those sorts of conversations. And I think within the corporate environment where it can really be damaging to people is in their exposure to senior leadership. I think it makes it will make organizations very hierarchical when you think about people only um, only connecting virtually because you won't get that opportunity for you know someone who's relatively junior in the organization to have that quick one minute conversation with a senior leader about a project they're working on it will all go up through the line and then people don't get um don't get their voices heard in the same way and they don't get the exposure and the recognition that they would have done in the same way as well when you get that connection time in the office yeah yeah i think also the way that zoom has taken over our schedules um, in a way can be quite exhausting. So what I've found is, for example, n- nowadays, um, it's very common to have back-to-back Zoom meetings. So I'll have a Zoom meeting that starts at 9, finishes at 10, and I'll have an- another one that starts at 10, finishes at 11, and then another one that starts at mm-hmm. 11. Yeah. So back in the day, when we would physically go to a client's office, we would factor in travel time. And nowadays, there's no travel time. So it's very regimented. But what it also means is, and and I only found this out after I had been doing this for a while, is you end up mentally exhausted by lunchtime. Mm. Do mm. you find that as well? Yes, yes. And I, I, I guess I'm lucky enough in the work that I do to have a good balance between time spent on Zoom and time actually spent, you know, focused on on the um, on the work. 
uh, that we're doing and and the again the talent who I work with we're we're regularly coming together to work on projects as well so we I get a lot of face-to-face time with people still as well mm. um I certainly couldn't be doing the the back-to-back all day because it's not it's just not where I get my energy from I get my energy from being with people um I guess that's why I'm in a business which is all about great people because mm. it's it's what really kind of I thrive on and what drives me forward as well. Hmm. I, I could do an, a whole podcast on Zoom etiquette, and maybe I will. <laughs> but, you know, there are there are cultural differences as well. I think one very common one that does surprise my my Western colleagues is how Asians never want to turn on the camera, mm. <laughs> and uh, they they never understand as well. Whereas um, whenever I, I'm in a Zoom call with people from the US. Or the UK, they always want to have the camera on, and I think in their in their minds, it's just rude not to have the camera on. Mm. Whereas in Hong Kong or Singapore or China, for that matter, asking someone to turn on their camera is rude. Isn't that fascinating? I, I, that's that cultural difference is it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, it is. I agree. I agree. But actually, you've reminded me. I think one of the the real benefits I have found of it is that when working with global clients who you know we're not in the same we don't have the opportunity to meet face to face um and that you know for us that, that's clients in europe it has been a real opportunity to get that face to face connection with people mm. that you otherwise wouldn't necessarily have got when things you know would have been done traditionally you know much more over the phone as well it's amazing how quickly zoom has been adopted into our lives if you think how different it is versus the way we worked only a year ago it's incredible i know the the other thing i want to explore is uh while still talking about cultural differences did you find that as a female executive people treat you differently here or is it roughly the same as back when you were in the uk yeah it's a really good question i mean i have to say I honestly during my time working with Mars there are very few occasions I can think of where I felt like being a a woman impacted me I think I had equal opportunity to any of my male counterparts um, and indeed you know many times was promoted ahead of male counterparts as well and I, I think I never was really aware of this sense of I'm a woman um, in work beyond, as I said before, the more the kind of external acknowledgement of if you're a woman and you're doing really well, and indeed if you're a working mother and you're doing really well, you know you're tra- you're trailblazing the way, and you, I felt that pressure to kind of keep going for that reason. I think coming to Asia, I have become incredibly more aware of what it means and the challenges people face in being a female in what can often be quite heavily male-dominated environments or certainly environments that still carry a a masculine culture with them, even if there's a lot of women working within those environments. Mm. And I don't think, again, I don't think I've hugely experienced a negative impact of that myself. I feel in all the, um, you know, the, the, the client's, uh, and prospective clients that I'm fortunate to, to work with and have conversations with that I have never felt negatively treated as a woman, but I'm very aware of uh, cultures and industries and people who I've spoken to within my network who have 
have really struggled with it and they're definitely and I and I don't necessarily think that's a, a Europe versus Asia thing I think it's more the the type of business that I was working in mm. um, and I was very lucky to never really have been exposed to that in the same way that I have as, I, as I've b- b- built those relationships and got to know other people working in other industries and, and businesses much better. Mm. What about income disparity between gender did, did you did you find that that's a very serious problem here or not at all uh, so I, I i don't think i can talk to individual cases mm. uh, at a at a macro level i think gen, the gender wage gap is as big a dialogue in asia as it is in europe um, mm. there are obviously more you know bigger measures being taken in europe in terms of reporting to try and drive awareness of it and try and drive change around it than there is here. So I think it's being talked about in Asia, in Hong Kong. I don't think there's as much sort of drive and, and appetite to try and really see a change around it in the same way that there is in Europe at the moment. Yeah, it's not talked about as much, which I find interesting because in my experience, at least in you know hiring people over the years, just looking at the expected salaries and, and knowing how much people, you know, what, what their salaries are. I know that there is a gen, uh, a wage gap, but it's, there's no movement here to address it as a problem, which I find very interesting. It's not talked about. Yeah, agree. And I, I think, I mean, I'm probably in some echo chambers where I, where it is being talked about, but <laughs> I think that's sort of the women's networks and things that I'm, um, that I'm attached to the but yes i agree with you you know there are you know there are governmental requirements in the uk for example on on reporting although that didn't happen this year because of of covid and there has been some um very unhappy people as a result of that who who feel that that needs to still be being pushed forward because mm. of course there is the big question around you know is covid actually going to really exacerbate that situation as well mm mm-hmm. 